So this morning we're going to continue on uh, back to the basics, right? So the last time we were going through back to the basics, and this is going to be good for Delilah because she's missed a few in a row, and that's good. Which I'm glad. And yeah. she's glad that she has an opportunity to, to do her, her own little Sunday school stuff. And so um, I know she enjoys that. So this will be good that she can get caught up, and she's probably going to say, you all have not gotten very far since the last time I joined you. So, um, <clears throat> but uh if you remember, we've been going through back to the basics, and of course, we start off with salvation because that's the most important thing. You got to get the gospel right if you don't get anything else. It says waiting for Crossword Ministries on YouTube. Is there anything we can do? I don't know. Let's find out as we go along, right? Oh man! All right. <clears throat> so we start off with the gospel, right? We we we've been making sure that we get make sure we get the gospel right to begin with. Um, and of course, that's where a lot of folks today, especially in modern, you know, evangelical churches, that's where they kind of drop the ball. And if you drop the ball there, then really there's no reason for you to open up your doors. I mean, that, that's just a that's just a simple truth that if you don't get the gospel right, and if you're not preaching the right gospel, then everything else you do uh, means nothing because you know it's God's will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, and if you don't start with the getting all people saved, then the second part can't happen, all right? Um, so we were going through those things, and then we talked about who we are in Christ, our identification of, of who God has made us in Christ um, so that we can actually know and understand our new identity. And basically what we've done is we've gone through the first uh, eight chapters of the book of Romans, and then the next thing that you would want to take a look at is Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, which deals with the dispensational aspect, right? So that's where we've been dealing with. And, you know, we start off in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth the canker of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth of erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. You preserved it throughout the years and ages that we can have it, we can handle it, we can study it. We can take those things that we study and apply them to our lives, to every detail of life, that we would allow your word to be the final authority in all things, um, no matter what they may be that uh, we would be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we've gone through and we've talked about how to rightly divide the word of truth, the thing that we notice here is in verse 16, you've got, he says, but, sh but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. So they've taken a truth, right? the truth of the resurrection, and they've said, well, that's already taken place. And so what they're doing is they're putting things in the wrong place in God's timeline. Now, we know and understand that God is not uh, um, subject to time. However, he deals with mankind in time. And we, the way we see this, the very first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So there is a beginning that God talks about that he's not a part of because he's outside of the beginning, right? So he's outside of the beginning, and he says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. 
So there's some beginning to the heaven and the earth, and God created them, right? Uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, if you want to be God, create something. Well, you know, you, you look around in all the world today and people try to come up with things or whatever it may be, you know. Years ago, it was, can we clone people? Because if we can clone people, then we can say that, well, we've created people, and that's just not possible. Um, what what that is is just a false version of the original thing, which is exactly what Satan has always done, right? Satan has always had a false version of what God's actually doing, and that's exactly what Hymenaeus and Philetus are doing is they're going along with that fake version of what God's doing. And so what they're doing is, it says, who concerning the truth in verse 18, have erred saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some, right? The whole purpose of it is, is to overthrow the faith of some. Now, there's a couple of different ways you could take that, that it, it overthrows the faith of somebody who would quite possibly believe by presenting a different gospel. Um, you know, you see this all the time. Give your Jesus, give your heart to Jesus. Well, your heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. Why would why would why would Jesus want your heart? All right, there's something else that He wants, and there's something else that He will clean. And it's not give give Him your heart. It's trust in what He did on the death, burial, and resurrection. What He the death that He died on the cross, the fact that He was buried. And the fact that he rose again three days for our justification. Those, those three things are part of the gospel. Now, and I said it's just part of. But that's what you have to trust in. You have to know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Um, one of the things that we've said before, and I've gotten it off of other folks, is you won't, you won't get saved until you know that you've been lost. Right? Uh, that's... That's a big part of it. You have to know that you that you need a savior, and there is absolutely nothing you can do. Uh, real quick, go over to go over to Romans chapter four because this is this is kind of interesting because there's a couple different things that's going on here, and there's a couple different ways to take this. But notice over here in Romans chapter four, verse one. Romans chapter four, verse one. It says, "What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining in the flesh, hath found?" Well. There's a couple of things that you can take a look at there. What is it that that Abraham found out about the flesh is what? You can't do it. And in fact, there, there's a justification that he has in, in Genesis chapter 15 that takes place while he's asleep. And so then you also have the fact that if you drop down to verse, uh, verse 18, it says, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. So I want you to think about this. His, his flesh could not, his body could not produce, and this is the interesting thing, he got to the point where his body could not produce the life-giving uh, specimen. And also the deadness of Sarah's womb. Sarah got to the point where she could not conceive and bear a child. So they both got to a point where they could not in their flesh do something to create this seed. Right? And so then there's two different times that we see that Abraham finds out 
You cannot do it. Your flesh can't do it. Notice. And verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Notice this. This is this is a this is a great this is a faith word. Notice. And being fully persuaded. Not just being persuaded. You know, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8 says, For I am persuaded. This is this is this is a, a slightly strong notice and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not imputed for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. It was not written to, for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him. That raise up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So when you take a look at that, Abraham found out <coughs> that his flesh couldn't do it. He got to the point where he and Sarah were not able to produce life. And then God said, all right, now it's time to do it. And I'm going to give you the seed that I promised you. And notice, you go back and you read the, the, the account of Sarah and Abraham. What do they do? Sarah says, go into our handmaid Hagar and you can have a child. That'll be your seed because I can't provide one for you. But Abraham still was. That's interesting. Abraham was still able to produce the seed with Hagar because they had a child. But here it gets to the point where th that he considered not his own body now dead functionally dead it's not that he was no longer alive but he got to the point where he was not functional in producing a child that's interesting and that's where men are today is they can't produce righteousness and that's the first step to understand that you're dead in trespasses and sins and there is nothing you can do to get out of that except believe and believing according to romans 4 5 is the only thing you can do without doing something <clears throat> now, that gets us up to the point where we are today, dealing with the dispensational aspects, Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. All right, once you, get to the once you get to the point where you find out that you can't do it, and the only way that you can get saved is by faith and loan, then what happens is, is your life will then become, I'm going to live the exact same way as I was saved, because that's what we're asked to do. We did a message down in the fall a few weeks ago. Uh, and the question was, is how do I walk by faith? Well, the same way you got saved. You got saved by believing the verses. So how should we walk? By believing the verses. Um, and it's really interesting because that's, that's it. And it is that simple, right? But we get to the point where we find out who we are in Christ. And that's Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Then you find out all the things that you have, and then your natural question is, well, what about Israel? What about the program with the nation of Israel? And that's when that comes up. So Ephesians chapter 2, and again, some of this is <clears throat> reminding us of where we've been. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past in uh, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
That's where we were in time past. And so then God sets up a difference between Jew and Gentile in time past, and that separation between them is the 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 act of circumcision. You go back to Genesis chapter 17. God gives Abraham and his seed this act of circumcision. It says, here's how I'm going to separate you from the rest of the Gentile world. <clears throat> and if you've not been with us too awful long, that, that's something that we would like to be able to do a little bit more of, take a look at that, because that's really interesting. And if we want to find out what God's doing today with the Gentiles, we need to go and find out how he, how he dealt with the Gentiles in Genesis 1 through 10, really 1 through 11. And that information is so vitally important, and there's very few people out there, especially in churches, that understand that stuff. And the reason why is because they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and think, well, this is about the Gentiles, this is about us. And it's not. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus Christ himself tells his disciples, don't go to the city of Samaria or any of the Gentiles. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says to the Seraphonician woman, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Over and over again, you see that there is a difference between the, those two groups. In Acts 1 through 7, we saw that last time. In, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is talking to the nation of Israel and they gnash on him with their teeth and they kill him. And he sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. And when then we looked at the verses to find out the only reason Jesus Christ would be standing is to bring judgment. Well, he didn't. The question is why? Well, that's where we get to today. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Notice it says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes are far off, that's the Gentiles, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So God has taken that division between circumcision and uncircumcision and done away with it, right? The middle wall of partition is circumcision. Don't let anybody else come along and tell you that it's something different because the context here tells us the difference between the two groups is the circumcision, okay? That's what that, that's what that middle wall of partition is. Well, what's happened is God has taken that division away. Notice, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So he's taken the enmity between the two groups away, but he's also even the law of commandments. So he's also taken the commandments out of the way, the law out of the way, contained in ordinances for to making himself of twain, the two, one new man, so making peace. Now, last week we talked about the four different reconciliations. This is one of them, right? We've talked about that. Notice in verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross. So then when you understand that, there's something that God's doing that's different <clears throat> than he was doing prior to Ephesians chapter 2. Notice over in Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 6, now when we take a look at what's going on here, Paul's going to give us some information about the mystery. Notice in verse 6, it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now that body has already been talked about in Ephesians chapter 1. 
And that body has already been talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That body is different than what God was doing during Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's a completely different group. Now, that flies in the face of, of a lot of folks out there. And, you know, the Bible usually does. What I found out years ago is, do I want to trust the book that I have in my hands, or do I want to trust things that I've been taught? Because if we go to the verses and actually allow them to tell us who God's speaking to and what he's talking about, and let that be the final authority, not what I feel, not what somebody else has told me, but what I can actually read in the verses. Um, what I got down to the point is I said, I'm going to believe what the verses say. And the majority of the time, it was completely contrary to what I was taught. That's kind of hard to do sometimes. But that's what we have to do. That God is going to make in one body, both Jew and Gentile, he's going to bring them together in one body. Notice in Ephesians 2, 16. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, notice, by the cross. Not at the cross, but by the cross. So then that's when, that's when the problem comes up because a lot of people will read that as at the cross. And they'll say, well, everything was different after the cross. Well, we looked at it the last time. That's not what happened. But I want you to notice something real quick. Go back over to Acts chapter 7. <clears throat> Acts chapter 7. We got cats in there fighting, so that's yeah, good. Yeah, they're totally fighting. <laughs> Acts chapter 7, verse 58. This is when Stephen is stoned to death. Notice in verse 58. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8 starts talking to us a little bit about this guy, Saul. Very, very little bit. But notice verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. It's very interesting that it tells us that there is a that there is a um, persecution against the church which is at Jerusalem. Not just a church, but the church that's at Jerusalem. That church already exists, right? That's something that began before Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two is not the start of the dispensation of the grace of God. It's not when God starts creating the church. The church is already there. And so then it's the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except, uh, except the apostles. So it's not just, it's everybody that's associated with that church at Jerusalem and all those that are scattered. They're still part of that local, but everywhere they go, they're being persecuted. Now that's different than what we see with, 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 with what God's doing today in the dispensation of the grace of God. But Saul was consenting unto the death of Stephen. Notice this in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Because this is, this, is a, this is a very significant thing when you look at it. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. <clears throat> and Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, 
that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them in bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Notice, this is a guy who's got papers and documents that allows him to go and arrest anybody he wants to that claims Jesus Christ is the Messiah, because that's what he's talking about. And so then he's going around, the disciples of the Lord are people who claim that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And so then he says, I'm going to go around and I'm going to get anybody, whether they're men or women, and I'm going to bound them and I'm going to bring them to Jerusalem. Anybody who says that Christ is the Messiah, because that was what they were supposed to believe in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the first part of Acts. He is the Christ that they were looking for, and they overlooked him. But notice, <clears throat> this is what Christ does. Instead of punishing him, what's he do? He says, why persecutest thou me? Paul says, and he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, unto, and, and the Lord said I am Jesus, whom thou per persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Immediately, he changed. He, he, he's, he recognizes who Christ was, and he says what? What will you have me to do? You know, you stop and you think about things. Um, and wouldn't it be great if people came to the Lord and just said, what will you have me to do? And I'm going to go do it. Mm -hmm. No matter what, yeah. no matter their preconceived notions, no matter how they feel about whatever, but they said, whatever you have me to do, I'm going to go do it. It'd be fantastic. The world, just as in Paul's day, Paul turned the world upside down. Could you imagine if people who got saved would say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And go do it. Now, the second message that we might do today is to do is we've got to be something. In order for us to go do, we've got to be something. We'll talk about that maybe later on, depending on how my ankle's hurting really bad, but we'll see. All right? But notice, and the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when, he, when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into, into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither did he uh, eat nor drink. Now, What's really interesting is you read through that passage and there's some interesting contrasts that are brought up with some other passages later on. Um, Rebecca's asked me about that and we're, we're going to talk about that maybe not this week, but next week. Um, 
to, to where we can get that. And then there is also something else that's gone through here um, that's really interesting or that, that I want to look at. Somebody else asked, I think it was on YouTube maybe. Uh, there's a couple questions on YouTube that I need to get to uh, as well, but we'll take a look at those as well. But notice what we have here is we have the conversion of Saul, the guy who consented unto the death of Stephen. Jesus Christ comes and miraculously shows himself, by the way, in an unprophesied return to the earth where he does not touch the earth. Remember, when you go back in the Old Testament and you go back and you find out when Christ comes back to the earth in the second coming, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives and they're going to split into two. This is an unprophesied return of Christ. Nowhere in Scripture are you going to find where Jesus Christ is, is prophesied that he's going to return to the earth and save Saul of Tarsus. That's interesting. And you got to make sure you make note of that because if that's something that was not prophesied, then that means that this is something that is mystery. And it's not mystery as far as, well, we got to figure out the clues to figure it out. No, it's mystery in the fact that it was hid in God from before the foundation of the world. Go with me real quick, a couple things. Uh, we're right here in Acts. Go get Acts chapter 3 and then Romans chapter 16. Um, and I want us to be able to see something because it's really interesting. Um, we'll also go get Luke as well. Might as well, so we'll get it too. So Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 um, and Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> because this is, this is one of those things, you know, words matter. Words mean things. And we want to make sure that we see this. Notice here in Luke chapter 1. Um, we've got Luke 1, Acts 3, and Romans 16. So what are we doing? Comparing verses, right? When you take a look at verses, you find out, are they comparisons as far as they're saying the same thing? Or do they contrast? One saying something, something different is being said in the other. Notice this in Luke chapter 1, verse 70. Uh, verse 68, verse, verse 67. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Verse 70. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been, notice, since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. Now, the we in the context there is the nation of Israel. And the saved there is a physical salvation. Not the spiritual salvation from the death penalty of sin, but the physical salvation from their enemies. Now, that's really interesting. If you think about what's going on there, when Paul's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 saying, you know, he's... He's, he's besought the Lord thrice that he might take away the thorn in the flesh, which were people coming against him. Um, what he's learning is that verse isn't true for him. That's interesting. Luke one seventy one, Paul finds out that that verse isn't written to me and about me. Otherwise, I would be saved from my enemies. That physical salvation, God's going to remove them. But that's not what happened. But anyway, <clears throat> notice 
He says, as verse 70, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, notice, which have been since the world began. So since the world began, God has had prophets that have spoken something. Notice here in uh, Acts chapter 3. I'm going back to the enemy's part. Yeah. Paul, God through Paul, Christ through Paul tells us, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you've got the same thing with the nation of Israel as well, but yeah, um, we do it because of who we are. We don't do it to get stuff, though, but yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, notice here in Rome, uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Whom the heaven must receive, talking about Christ in verse 20, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which was before preached unto you, um, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken. Notice, Acts 3, verse 21. I don't think you said Romans. Yeah, we had, we had Luke 1, Acts 3, and then Romans 16. Okay, sorry. So you're in Acts 3? Yeah. Okay. Acts three twenty one. Whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God hath spoken Notice, by the mouth of all his pro holy prophets, notice, since the world began. So again, there are some things that God has used his prophets to speak about since the world began. Okay, And we see that he hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So there is some information in Luke 1 and Acts chapter 3 that has spoken since the world began. So from this time when the world began, let's do it this way. This time when the world began, there has been things in Luke 1 and Acts, 3, Acts chapter 3 that have spoken since that time. All right? Notice in Romans 16. And we've got to pay attention to these things. And if we don't, then we'll be a mess. Notice in Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you. All right? So that, that idea is... God has the power to make you stable. So if, you, if you're living a life right now that's not stable, it's, it's because you're not allowing God's power to do that for you, to make you stable. Um, notice, now to him that is the power to establish you according to my gospel. So there's, there's three things that Paul's saying, here's how God's going to establish you or to establish you, to make you stable my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, all right? So there's this revelation of the mystery that we're supposed to know something about Jesus Christ's preaching based on the revelation of the mystery. Now, we've said this before. There's a couple of different ways you can look at this. What we see is my gospel is really going to be taken care of and found in Romans, Corinthians, and Galatians. Now we've got our, I don't have one with me, our bookmark on the back of it. It's got this basically written out for us and it gives you, here's the layout of Paul's epistles. Here's why they're laid out that way. All right? Here's the first one is my gospel. That's the doctrine reproof correction dealing with the gospel that Paul preaches. And it's really interesting when you study those three books that way. When we studied the book of Romans, when we went through the book of Romans years ago, 
we said that you can actually go through Romans and you're going to be able to, to, to study 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians along with Romans. And we were able to do that. The first part of it dealt with stuff in Galatia uh, and the second part of it dealt with stuff in Corinth. And it's really interesting because you can do that. Well, the same thing is going to happen with Ephesians, Philippians, or Ephesians, Colossians, and the Philippians. Notice, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. There are some things that Jesus Christ preached that was based on the revelation of the mystery. Where do you find that? Not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You find that in Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. There are some things. That's why you find out about the mystery in the book of Ephesians. That's why you find out about how to rightly divide the Bible in the book of Ephesians. Well, you also see that in the book of Romans. And in fact, if you get the right gospel, technically you've started rightly dividing to begin with, <laughs> which is really interesting. If you get the right gospel, then you already know how to rightly divide the Bible. You just have to apply that to the rest of your studies. But notice... The preaching to Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. And it's not something out there that we, you know, got to play Columbo. We're like, hey, one more thing there. We got to figure this out. It's not a CSI show. It's not um, Psych. We watch Psych a lot. Uh, if you've never seen that show, it's kind of funny. Um, but it's one of those things. It's not a mystery like we got to figure it out. No, it's a mystery. Notice, which was kept secret since the world began. He tells us what this mystery is. It's something that was kept secret since the world began. Now, our connecting the two previous verses, Luke 1 and Acts 3 says there are some things that have been spoken since the world began. world begins, things have been spoken. Well, here it tells us that there's a revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. So since the world began, same time, something has been kept secret until it was revealed over here. So if you have things being spoken and things being kept secret, they can't be the same thing. Can't be. You can't, you can't speak something and keep it secret at the same time. You can't. And you can't keep something secret and speak about it at the same time. That's not possible. So then when we study the Bible, we have to study it based on knowing some things and the very first thing is we have to know how to study it based on these things. Notice verse 26, but now is made manifest. So there was something that's been kept secret since the world began, but now there's information that's being revealed about it. It's being made manifest now. So that means that there is a time period in which God reveals this information and he says, but now is made manifest. Well, that should make us think of Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. There is a time period that God refers to as but now. And that's the revelation of the mystery that but now this information is being made manifest that was not previously made manifest. Now, keep on going. But now it's made manifest and by the scripture of the prophets. Now, the problem is, is a lot of folks come along and they read that verse 26 and says, but now it's made manifest by the scripture of the prophets. Now, hold up. You got to stop there because you skip a word. And people do this a lot. 
I've done it. I've done it before, not with this verse, but ha. Uh, I've done it before where you would miss a word, not by you know, not always by on purpose or anything. But notice it says verse twenty six. But now is made manifest. Notice that word word and. The mystery that's been kept secret since the world began has been made manifest. And then the third part, and by the Scripture of the Prophets. It's not revealed in the Scripture of the Prophets. You cannot go in the Old Testament verses and find the revelation of the mystery. If you can, then God's a liar and the Holy Spirit's a liar because they wrote that verse. And we know that God that cannot lie... So we know it's not him that's lying. It's people that misuse the Bible. But when we look at this, that's something that we have to pay attention to. Have to. And understanding what takes place in Acts chapter 9 and everything that comes after that is very, 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 very important. Um, Real quick, go over to... Get 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two. Notice verse one. And I, brethren, when I came to you, now this is Paul speaking here, the Holy Spirit through Paul speaking, says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. Now that's important. Your your faith should never stand in the wisdom of men. If, If our faith is always... Well, so-and-so says, so I believe, then we've got a problem. That's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Because your faith is standing in the wisdom of men. What we should say is what? I believe this because the verse in the Bible says it. Mm -hmm. Notice. The reason that Paul doesn't bring enticing words of man's wisdom, that here's the purpose, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. That includes Paul himself. Mm-hmm. But in the power of God. So a lot of times people come along and say, you all love Paul and you all worship Paul. No, we don't. We worship the verses, if you will, of what he wrote because that's written directly to and about us. And the way we know that is because the Holy Spirit tells us that. We don't worship the man. We care about what the verses on the page say. Notice. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Well, what's the power of God? Well, you look back in chapter 1, verse 18, says, For the preaching of, of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What we find out there is the preaching of the cross is the power of God. What is it? that we should rest in, what is it that we should stand in, is the preaching of the cross. That's why it's so important. Verse uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 6. 
Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, which is really interesting. Um, if you've not listened to Brother Jordan's messages down in the Fallen, or even the ones that he's done down in North Carolina this weekend, that really is not going to make too much sense to you. Um, but notice, <clears throat> verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. That's the same mystery that he's talking about in Romans 16. It's the same mystery he's talking about in Ephesians chapter 3. And both of those are things that were kept secret, kept hid in God from before the foundation of the world. That was not spoken until it was but now made manifest. What do people do with that verse? What do people do with that verse? They get a new Bible that doesn't say that. They get a new Bible that doesn't say that. So then what you have is Satan's policy of evil against God and his word is set up a, a false version yeah. that people will just blindly follow and say, oh, I've got the Bible. Well, you don't. If you don't have a King James Bible, you do not have God's word in the English no. language. No. It's mm-hmm. flat out. That might hurt some feelings, but that's okay. I'd rather hurt your feelings and you have God's word than to not hurt your feelings and you go to hell. Exactly. Because that's, that's, that's why it's important to care about the words on the page. Notice, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. So then when we think about God's wisdom, not only has he given us his wisdom through the book, but he's given us his hidden wisdom, things that he kept secret. One of the, one of the boasts that Satan had was, you can't keep a secret from me. Well, God did. The only thing God had to do to destroy Satan and his his plan against the heaven and the earth is he had to keep a secret. Just and he did it. It's that easy. That shows you the power of being quiet. Yeah. No, that's true. That shows you the power of being quiet. You know, Paul tells us study to be quiet. That's That's one of those things a lot of folks should do. But notice. Even the hidden wisdom of God, which God or even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of the world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had they known what God was going to do through the dispensation of the grace of God, really the whole purpose behind the death, burial, and resurrection, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus Christ. They, their system would not have tried to destroy the seed. That's what it's about. You go back into to Genesis, what Satan tries to do is he tries to destroy the seed because God says, I'm going to put enmity between thy seed and the woman's seed. And so what's he do? Very first thing he does is has Cain uh, kill Abel. Well, I've gotten rid of the seed line, but he didn't. So then what happens? You get over to Genesis chapter 6, and you've got giants in the land. So you've got sons of God, fallen angels who see women, find their fair. They come down, and they have children with them, and there's giants in the land. So what did he do? He tried to destroy the seed of all mankind. After the flood, you have the exact same thing. Then what God does in chapter 11 of Genesis, he sends everybody away and by confusion, by changing the languages. And so then in Genesis chapter 12, he pulls out one man, Abraham, and says, I'm going to do something with your seed, which is connected to Eve's seed. Because 
Abraham is the descendant of Eve. So then what Satan does is he tries to destroy all the seed of Abraham. One way he does it is, let's go in and have a child with Hagar. Let's destroy the seed line. Well, that wasn't the seed. But we see that over and over again. So Satan has this way of trying to do things. He's got this course of the world, right? And I know there's folks that kind of think of the course of the world as like a stream. Um, it's not. It's, it's a teaching course. We're being taught every single day on how to fulfill what Satan's wanting to do. And had he known what the cross was going to accomplish, they wouldn't have had him, they wouldn't have, the princes of this world wouldn't have had him crucified. It's that simple. But that's one of those things that we see. Um, let's go real quick. Um, we're running close on time. Go we'll get First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. First Timothy chapter one. Verse twelve. Notice, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. You know, you stop and you think about that. What's that remind you of? When Stephen says... Hold not this against their against them, right? Hold your place there. Let's go take a look at that. In Acts chapter seven, what is the thing that that Stephen says at the very end, verse sixty, Acts seven sixty, and he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, "Lord, lay not this sin to their charge." And when he had said this, he fell asleep. When we get over here to to First Timothy. And Paul says, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The way that God is able to save Saul of Tarsus is based on two things. One, Christ saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Stephen saying, lay not this sin to their charge. That's interesting to me anyway. But notice, verse 14 and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. You, you think about that. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Every, grace is everything that God is able to do through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Everything that allows God to do for you in your life, Paul says the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. Isn't that true? You know, we've read... We've read the 2 Corinthians 9, 8 a bunch of times. But that's what he's dealing with. Um, exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, a lot of people read that and they say, well, Paul was the chief of sinners. He was the worst sinner ever was. 
That's not what he means when he says chief. If you study out chief, it's the first one, the top person, the main one. So what we find out here is Paul obtains mercy. And Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Notice, how be it for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might shew forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. <clears throat> Paul is the first one to be saved based upon grace through faith. Huh? It doesn't get any plainer, right? He says, I obtained mercy. Why? That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. When God is showing long suffering today, the first person he showed long suffering to was Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Why? For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Paul's salvation is a pattern that we should look to. He obtained mercy so that God was able to say, even though you blasphemed, I'm going to still save you. To me, that's interesting. And he says, that he was shown this for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe. From that point on, from that point on, people have been saved the same way Paul did, by grace through faith alone. Now, you say that and somebody's like, well, show me the verse where it says grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Well, it doesn't say those words, but you read it and that's what it is. How do you get saved? By Christ Anything else, anything else out there in the world that can save you other than Christ? No. What allows him to do that is grace. Anything else allow God to say, I'm going to give you Christ's righteousness other than grace and mercy? No. Well, how do you get it? By faith. Is there anything else you can do to get salvation that God's promised through that? And the answer is no. So then when we look at those things, again, we've got to pay attention to them so that we can actually understand what's going on. So with Paul, on the road to Damascus, God starts something because Paul says there that in me first, Jesus might show forth all longsuffering. He was the first. Now, does that mean that was the first person ever to be saved? No. But there's a particular way in which he is saved, and that's by grace through faith. He obtained mercy in a, in a position where he couldn't get mercy. He couldn't get anything other than God just saying, I'm going to give you mercy, and I'm <coughs> going to give you eternal life. Now, what I want to do is be able to take a look at some more things as we go through. Um but there's something that's taking place there. Go back to Romans chapter 11. I know we're running a little long today, but this, in the way my ankle's feeling, this might be the only message anyway. So we'll get it all in at once, right? 
in order for God to do what he's doing today, something had to take place. Romans chapter 11, verse 11. And we see this. This is how God's going to do this. Romans 11, 11. By the way, this isn't plan B. It's not like the crucifixion of Christ caught God off guard and was like, oh no, what I got to do? Let's figure out what we're going to do. No, this is something that he planned before the foundation of the world. In Scripture, clearly. In Scripture, clearly, clearly tells us that. But notice this. I say then, verse 11, Romans eleven eleven. I say then, have they stumbled, the nation of Israel stumbled, that they should fall? God forbid. Did they stumble and not fall? Yes. When did that take place? With the crucifixion of Christ. The fact that the, the kingdom was still offered after that point tells us that they hadn't fallen away. Notice, God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles. So there is a time where they do fall. Well, when did they fall? With the stone and the Stephen. But rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are in my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff there, but what had to happen is the nation of Israel had to fall. God sends Christ to Saul on the road to Damascus in an unprophesied return to the earth where he doesn't touch the ground. And he saves Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9 and gives to him a new mission and a commission and a new gospel and new life to be able to go and present to people. And there is a diminishing of the nation of Israel from Acts chapter 9 to Acts chapter 28. And from that point on, which is where we find ourselves today, God has been dealing with us differently since Acts chapter 9 than he did the entire rest of the world from Abraham until Acts chapter 7. And if we don't get that, then we miss out on a whole bunch of stuff. And it would be horrible for us to miss out on all that stuff because once we find out who we are in Christ, it just, life gets so much better. It doesn't make everything, I mean, you still get scratches and bruises and you fall down and you hurt your knees and your ankles and all this stuff. And that doesn't take that away. Your bank account's never going to be full. You're going to be struggling your entire life with that. But... Life, knowing that you have something out there in the ages to come to look forward to, we're not, we're, not, we're not bound to this world and all the things that's in it. That's the important thing. And praise the Lord for that, right? So next time what we'll do is we'll pick back up with that and take a look at that and then go into more detail with Paul's conversion, right? Um, because there's that, um, there's a, there's, there's an issue that always arises with Cornelius, um, and some other things as well. So we'll take a look at that as we go through, uh, some folks have asked us some questions. So, um, anybody watching, if you have any questions, ah, if you have any questions on anything, please let us know. You can put them in the comment box and, uh, we'll get back with you as soon as we can. Uh, we thank you all for joining us today. 
And uh, we'll see you Wednesday night uh, where we're going to continue the book of Matthew. So thank you for joining us today.